Well, happy Thanksgiving, North Wake family. And I get to start this morning's Thanksgiving homily by thanking you. As many of you know, I was on sabbatical from August to October where I got to read some things, do some things, and see some things that I'm not normally able to do with my regular responsibilities here at the church. I was able to retreat with my wife, Shelly, in the beautiful town of Bar Harbor, Maine. I was able to spend some extended time with my kids and and their new families. Uh, We even found out that we're going to be first-time grandparents. Yeah. Daniel, you're, you're supposed to say I'm not old enough for that, right? You're old enough. I'm old enough, uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, Shelly and I were able to visit some of our far-flung families in Africa. So I, I really just want to start off this morning by saying thank you to you guys. Thank you, North Wake, for loving your pastors enough and providing us these seasons of rest, refreshment, and renewal, for they are exactly that for us. And as many of you have already shared this morning, I have much to be thankful for. And as I was pondering what it is that I was most thankful for approaching uh, Thanksgiving Day, I came to the realization that it is the moments. It's the moments that I get to share with others. For it's the moments that give life its meaning and make life worth living. Think about it. Just for example, my wife and I are about to celebrate a quarter of a century of marriage, uh, 25 years together. But it's not simply that we have stayed together for 25 years that make that a milestone worth celebrating. No, it's the moments that we've shared in those 25 years that make it meaningful. You know, I still remember the moment that I first set eyes on Shelly in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. I still remember the detailed events of our very first date. I remember taking her to Cafe Vicenzo's for her first nice dinner out. And there's other moments that as I look back over my life, bring me great joy and satisfaction. The moments when I held my kids for the very first time in West Florida Hospital. The moment Christ saved me as I accepted the gospel in that beat-up duplex off of Lake Drive. The moment that I was privileged enough to see someone that I had shared the gospel with come to Christ on the night shift at Super Target. The moment I went on my first mission trip and I, where I got to hear other believers in India in their native tongue sing praises to God. And I got to get a taste of what heaven was going to be like. It's the moments that we share with others that give life its meaning. Think about your moments. The moment that you made that lifelong friend and the memories that you made together. The moment that you knew that your spouse was the one that you were going to marry. The moment that you held your child for the very first time. The moment that you came to Christ. The moment that you shared the gospel with someone that you cared deeply about. The moment you poured your life into another and saw them begin to grow and thrive in their faith. You see, life is about the moments. So this morning, I wanna take a look 
at a moment in the life of Jesus. A moment that he shares with a man named Bartimaeus. A moment that gives life meaning and directs us to what's really important in life. Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. We're going to look at this story briefly, this account in Jesus' life. Mark 10, starting in verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Master, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Father, help us to see all that you hoped for us to see when you had Mark write these words down. May your son be seen as beautiful as your Holy Spirit guides us in the study of your word this morning. Amen. Now let me set the background for this passage this morning. For the setting will help us see the meaningfulness of this moment. You see, Jesus is on the move. We read in verse 1 of chapter 10 that Jesus left there. And Jesus is not just moving randomly. Verse 32 tells us that he's going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus is not going there for a casual visit. This is not a vacation. No, Jesus is on a mission. We read in verse 33, and you'll see it on the screen behind me, where he says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise. So Jesus is on the most important mission in all of history. The setting for this moment that we are observing in the scriptures this morning. As busy as Jesus was, he was not too busy for a moment with Bartimaeus. Think about it. Jesus, on the most important mission in all of history, walking towards the cross to purchase salvation for all who would receive him, and he hears a man cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, on this all-important mission, comes to a screeching halt. He stops in his tracks and gives this blind beggar, this social outcast, his undivided attention. This is unbelievable. 
As we read Mark's account, it should astound us. It should amaze us. It should perplex us. For that's exactly what it did to the disciples. The text tells us in verse 48 that many, probably the disciples as well, had rebuked the man for calling out to Jesus. They told him to sit down, to be quiet, to be silent. They were probably saying things like, don't you know who this is? This is Jesus. Don't bother him. You're a nobody. He's going to have nothing to do with you. He has more important things to do than to share a moment with you. But the many had misjudged the one, Jesus. Because Jesus stops in his tracks and calls this societal outcast to himself. In shock, the disciples, trying to compose themselves after discouraging the man, began to encourage him. They say things like, take heart, cheer up, let's go, get up. Jesus is calling for you. Can you imagine what this man must have been feeling in this moment? And you can see that he understands how important this moment is in the way that he responds. He doesn't just gradually get up and mosey on over to Jesus. No, he springs up. He throws off his jacket and makes a beeline as fast as a blind man can straight to Jesus. You see, even though Jesus was the most important person who to ever have walked the face of the earth, and even though he was on the most important mission in all of history, he was not too busy for this blind beggar because Jesus knows that it's moments like this that give life meaning. So the first thing that I think that God wants us to see from this passage this morning is Jesus is never too busy to share moments with us. Jesus is never too busy to share moments with us. When I was growing up, my dad worked very hard. He worked at a local, local paper plant and he worked about 70 plus hours on average per week. And he worked even harder when he was around the house. But as being one of his three boys... All we had to do was ask him, Dad, can we talk man to man? Dad, can we talk man to man? And he would stop whatever he was doing and give us his full and undivided attention. It was that simple. One cry, seven little words, and my dad would bring everything to a screeching halt for me. In a similar but much more profound way, Jesus stopped everything he was doing when this man cried out his seven little words, Son of David, have mercy on me. Church, this is is Jesus. This is our God. Are you astounded by this as much as I am? That all you and I have to do is cry out to him and he hears us and he calls us to himself and he engages with us. You see, one of the greatest privileges that every follower of Christ has is unhindered access to God himself. All we have to do is cry out to him and the creator of the universe stops whatever he is doing and gives us his full and undivided attention and he shares a moment with us 
Church, aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that Jesus is never too busy to share moments with us? Now there's a second thing that I think God wants us to see about his son and that is that Jesus is never too busy for moments of meeting our needs. You see, as soon as this man had made his way to Jesus, Jesus asked him a very simple question. What do you want me to do for you? The man's need was obvious, but Jesus' simple question gave this blind beggar the opportunity to express his need to Jesus. And in doing so, he placed himself in the gracious, merciful hands of Jesus, whom he believed could heal his infirmity. And as soon as the man had entrusted himself into Jesus' capable hands, he was made well and recovered his sight. You see, Jesus had met his needs. And Jesus is the same with us today. Jesus wants us to come to him with every need we have. He wants to share our pains, our sufferings, our ailments, our needs with him. He listens to each and every one of them and meets them according to his sovereign, merciful, gracious, and loving wisdom. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Church, aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that Jesus is never too busy for moments of meeting our needs? Well, there's one more thing that I think God wants us to see from this passage about Jesus, and that is that Jesus is never too busy for moments of disciple making. You see, Jesus had engaged this man about his faith. Somehow, someway, in this brief interaction, Jesus got to hear of the man's faith. And then there's this little, sometimes overlooked ending to this account. At the end of verse 52, we notice that this man uses his newly restored vision to set his sights on Jesus to follow him. And as this man followed Jesus, he would have been able to see the gospel lived out. As Jesus completed his all-important mission. You see, Jesus has time for moments where he engages people in their faith. And for those that are willing to follow him, he makes disciples of them. Church, aren't you thankful Aren't you thankful that Jesus is never too busy for moments of disciple making? I don't know about you, but I am thankful that this is my God. A God who cares enough about me to meet me where I am. A God who will listen to me. A God who wants to know what he can do for me. A God who is never too busy for me. And for this, I am exceedingly grateful. And in this gratefulness, God is asking me to do the same, to be like Jesus, to follow in his steps, because there are three implications that come from this passage for me and for all followers of Christ, and I'll be honest, these are the three things that God really pressed upon me and Shelley during my three months of sabbatical. And the first one is, since Jesus is never too busy to share moments with us, we should never be too busy to share moments with him. 
You see, church, God has been convicting me over my sabbatical that I have forgotten my first love. That love that I had when I was a brand new believer. And he was calling me back to a supreme love, a supreme affection in him once again. Just like he did the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. So an application of this first implication, I am making my God time my primary time each and every day. I want to give God the very best part of my day and not the leftovers. He's the most important meeting I have on my schedule each and every day where I spend meaningful quality and quantity time in his word and prayer. It's amazing that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit invite me into the fellowship that they have experienced for all eternity. Why would I not seize that privilege and opportunity each and every day? So it's something I desire. It's something I delight in because I want to share these moments with them. The second implication is that since Jesus is never too busy for moments of meeting our needs, we should never be too busy for moments of meeting the needs of others. So Shelly and I have realized that God does not, first of all, God has given us so much. He really, really has. And he doesn't call me just a steward to 10% plus. He calls me to steward all of it. And so we're looking at our budgets and we've identified some areas that we can make some sacrifices in to give money away to meet the physical needs of others. And there's one particular place that he pressed upon Shelly and I while I was on sabbatical and that is we want to give additional monies to help rescue and set young girls free from being trafficked. This is something that we've decided to do in our budget for 2020. And to be honest, this is why our church has decided to do this thing called Gen 12. We realize how much we've been blessed, and so we want to be a blessing to others. You see, we just simply want to be like Jesus, who meets the physical needs of others. And then third, implication. Since Jesus is never too busy for moments of disciple-making, we should never be too busy for moments of disciple-making either. One of the last things that Shelly and I thought through over my sabbatical was that we want to reorient our lives to be about two things. We want to be about first sharing the gospel with others, those who do not know God. And secondly, we want to make disciples. So Shelly and I are just going to throw a lot of parties at our house. We're going to invite a lot of neighbors over. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to go where unbelievers hang out and we're going to have a lot of fun in their environment. We plan to serve them and love them. And in loving them, actually share the hope using the words of the gospel with them. And we're going to also carve out time to invest in younger, newer believers. And whatever we can impart to them, we hope that they will go and impart it in another. So church, I want to seize the moments that God gives me. Moments like these. Moments with him. Moments meeting the needs of others, moments engaging people in their faith and making disciples of those who are in Christ. For it is the moments that give life its meaning. Now as we close, I I want to bring up one more moment that Jesus was not too busy for. That we want to remember this morning together and that is the last meal that he shared with his disciples 
It was a moment that had significant meaning for the disciples and it has significant meaning for all followers of Christ. Because at the, uh, the Lord's Supper, it represents Jesus' life sacrifice for us. Is a shared moment. And in that shared moment, Jesus took bread with his disciples and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this also in remembrance of me. So church, we get to share this together with one another and we get to share this together with Christ. So come, remember him. The table at North Wake is open to anyone who is a follower of Christ, who is walking in fellowship with him. So as we come, please use the two wall aisles and the center aisle to approach and these two aisles to exit.